0: Thank you, Tom. What a great time of worship. As Tom mentioned, I'm going to be speaking over the next few weeks on the parables of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles or your device, let's access Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. And today we're going to talk about what is God really like? Now, I mean, I know you're going to kind of judge me today and say, I don't know whether I want to come back and hear this guy again. I'm also judging you. Do you guys even know what real preaching is? (laughs) Uh, You may be like one lady who left church at Green Acres one Sunday, and I know she got a little confused, or I hope she was. Because she said, oh, Pastor David, every sermon you preach is better than the next one. Some of you will get that a little bit later this afternoon. (laughs) Now, there's not a lot of atheists around anymore. Did you know that? I mean, remember we used to have Madeline Murray O'Hare. She's dead. There's only 3,500 members in the American Atheistic Association these days, and 87% of Americans say they believe in God. The Bible has one verse for atheists, Psalm 53.1, that says, The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. So there's a, probably a good chance you don't know an atheist. Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Facebook, claims to be an atheist, but he's not outspoken about it. But you know, there's something worse than being an atheist. And it is believing in God, but having the wrong concept of God. So, so who is, what's God really like? Is He like the God of the Muslim terrorists who flew the jets into the World Trade Center or, is, is He the Hindu God of many, many faces? Is He the impartial God uh, that the Buddhist worship? What What is God really like? Well, that's why Jesus came to planet Earth to tell us what God is really like. And if you look at the first part of Luke 15, Jesus is speaking to the scribes, the Pharisees, the tax collectors, the publicans. Uh, I call them the religious mafia the jewish mafia who are always opposing jesus and he said i'm going to tell you what god's really like because you guys you religious guys in israel you don't have a clue what the real god is like and then jesus tells three wonderful short stories we call them parables he told the story about a shepherd who had 99 sheep or 100 sheep and one got lost and he left the 99 and found the one lost lamb that's what god is like God's like a woman who had ten coins and she lost one and she turned the whole house upside down searching for that one lost coin. And then God is like a dad who loses a son for a while. And the one theme that holds these three stories together is celebration. When that which is lost is found, there is rejoicing. So let's read the story here. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, he also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate and foolish living that word foolish living in latin is we get our word prodigal from that so you probably have heard this as the parable of the prodigal son which it is not verse 14 after he had spent everything a severe famine struck the country and he had nothing then he went to work in one of the citizens for one of the citizens of that country who had sent him into his fields to feed pigs he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. And when he came to his senses, this is the turning point of the story, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight, I am no longer to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers." So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate. There's the theme with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. But not everybody was happy. You look down to verse 28. Then he, The older son, the pouting son, became angry and didn't want to go in. One of my great mentors and friends was Ron Dunn and he often preached on this passage and he said about a Sunday school teacher teaching children who told this story to the children, the full story, and he said, okay, boys and girls, who was not happy because the prodigal son returned? And the little boy said, the fatted calf. <laughs> That's true. But if you've called this the parable of the prodigal son, I want to remind you that all the parables of Jesus in the New Testament, none of them have a title. Those are man made. And so I think the focus of this parable is not on the prodigal son, the focus is on the loving father. So let's call this the parable of the loving father. And Jesus teaches us three important things, revolutionary things about our God. Number one, our God regrets our rebellion. He regrets your rebellion. You see, the amazing thing about this story is Jesus said, this is what God is like. God is like a father. Now, you've got to understand that's a new concept to the Jewish nation. In the Old Testament, God was the king. He was the creator. He, he, he was a mighty God Almighty, El Shaddai, Yahweh, the God who is known only by His name. He, he's the God that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, and the God that sent the flood to wipe out the world. You know, Moses never once prayed, our Father. Abraham never prayed, our Father. David never prayed, our Father. But when Jesus came along, He said, here's how you ought to pray. Our Father, and he didn't just use the formal word pater, we get a word patriarch from that. He said, you can call God Abba, Abba, which is daddy, Papa. Jesus introduced the revolutionary idea that the God, the creator of the universe is like a father to all of us. Because we can all relate to that because most of us have had fathers. (laughs) In fact, we've all had fathers. Whether they were good fathers or not, some of you are fathers. And we can relate to that kind of relationship. So here's a father in this story whose heart is broken when one of his sons rebels against him and says, Dad, I know when you die I'm going to get part of the estate. And to me you're as good as dead. So go ahead, give me what I've got coming to me now. Now, you got to understand in these days, wealth was tied up not in stocks and bonds or securities. It was really in real estate, livestock, things like that. So, no doubt, this father had to liquidate a lot of his assets in order to get enough money to give his son his part of the estate, which if there were two sons, according to Jewish custom, the older son got two-thirds of the estate, and the younger son would get one-third of the estate. So, We believe this was a father of means. He was rich because he had a servant, servants plural. He had a fattened calf, so we believe he was a man with a lot of wealth. And so he had to gather this money together and give it to his son and then watch his son walk out the door. And don't you know what? It broke his heart. So as we go through this parable, you've got to ask yourself, where am I in this parable? And there may be some of you who at a time in your life, or it may be there now, you have walked away from fellowship with God. Because here's an important distinction. Once you are a child of God, you are in a relationship with God, that relationship is secure. It can never be changed. Once a child, always a child. Or according to John 10, once a Lamb of God, always a Lamb of God. All right, my sheep hear my voice? And I know them, and they have eternal life, and no man can pluck them out of my Father's hands. Baptists call it once saved, always saved, which is not in the Bible. We call it the security of the believer. It's not up to you to maintain your relationship with God. You're firmly in the hand of God, and nobody can pluck you out of God's hand. The relationship cannot be changed. But you know what? You can fall out of fellowship with God. I mean, just like you can in human relationships. You know, I have two daughters now. They're grown, wonderful, beautiful young ladies who've given us five grandchildren, all in Tyler. And, and they're good kids, and they were mostly good kids growing up. But there was a time when uh, my daughters were teenagers, and they didn't always make wise decisions. And so there, were, there was never a moment when my daughters weren't my daughters. I was their father, but i promise you there were some times when we were not in close fellowship with one another. Because they were rebellious and disobedient. In fact, there was a period of time in which my older daughter we took the door off of her bedroom for several months. And right now, I think her daughter has her door <laughs> off the bedroom at her house. And so you can get out of fellowship with God, but not out of relationship with God. And you see, God loves you so much, he'll let you walk away from fellowship. I mean, God is not so deterministic that when He put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, He didn't build a fence around the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He just said, eat all the trees and that one tree, don't eat it. In other words, God allows you to make bad choices. Bad choices have bad consequences and good choices have good consequences. I remember early on in my ministry, there was a man that came to me. He at one time had been really faithful serving the Lord But he'd gotten into an adulterous relationship with a woman that wasn't his wife, obviously. And then went through all the heartache of divorce and and lost a lot of things in his life, including his family, his job. And then later, when he repented and tried to get right with God, he said the dumbest thing to me I think I've ever heard. He said, Pastor David, why didn't God stop me from going off and making all those mistakes? Like, you know, why didn't he put a concrete wall in front of me? Why didn't he grab me up by the hair and say, don't go there, don't do that? Because that's not what God does. God says, I love you, I care for you, but if you choose to walk out of fellowship with me, you may do that. And it broke this father's heart and it breaks the heart of God when his children get out of fellowship. You know why? The greater the love, the greater the capacity to be hurt. Now I'm talking to some of you today that you're not the wandering son. You are parents of prodigals. Or you have been the parents of prodigals. Or you're going to be the parents of prodigals. And the more you love that family member, the more it's going to hurt when they walk away from fellowship with the family. So first of all, our God is a God who regrets your rebellion. Number two, our God runs when you... Return. That's what God is like, Jesus said. And then the story continues. You know, he had his pockets full of money. He went to the bright lights and the loud music of the big city. He had plenty of friends. He spent all his money. He, he was living high on the hog until he ran out of money. And then he was living low with the hogs. You've got to remember, this was a Jewish audience. And there's nothing more, you know, just that really disturbed them more than the idea of swine because that was an unclean animal. And here he is in the pig pen with the slop and the dirt of the pigs. You talk about a fall from, you know, when his pockets were full of money. Now he's in the very lowest point he can be. Now, I, I mean, that's about as low as you can get. Uh, I, I grew up in LA, lower Alabama. And I served my first church when I was a senior in high school. And it was a little farming community out from where I was going to high school. And so there's a lot of farmers. And one of them was a hog farmer. And I promise you, there is not another smell on the planet like a hog farm. I mean, I heard about the realtor selling a place. And he said, well, the good news is that you can always tell which way the wind's blowing. Bad news is you're next to a hog farm. <laughs> so here he was, just... Went from the highest high to the lowest low until he came to his senses. And he came to what I call the P.O.T.D. You know what the P.O.T.D. is? It's a place where you get to meet God. It's called the point of total desperation. Have you ever been to the P.O.T.D.? Sometimes you don't really reach out to God until you get to the point of total desperation desperation now let me tell you a little insight into this story Jesus didn't really make up this parable there there are instances of a similar story in Jewish history the story of a father wealthy father who had a rebellious son that left and came back and so as he's telling this parable I'm sure some of the scribes and Pharisees they said oh I've heard this one before you know, I've heard this one before. Have you ever been telling a joke before to somebody and you say, stop me if you've heard this? And they're not going to stop you. They just know where the punchline's going. These guys said, I know where this is going. Because in this story that was popular in Jewish history, when the son comes back crawling to his father, the father says, no. You know, you've made your bed. You sleep in it. Get out of here. You've lost your chance. You've made your choice I don't want to ever see you again. Now that's Old Testament retribution. In fact, if you want to know what the Bible says about this in Deuteronomy 21:18, here's Old Testament theology. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother, shall bring him to the elders and say, "This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey us. He is a profligate And a drunkard than all the men shall stone him to death. Wow. If you're a parent of a teenager, you may be thinking right now, that's probably a pretty good idea right there. (laughs) But that's the Old Testament. And that Jesus gave a twist to the plot. He had a surprise ending that he slipped in. We kind of looked at the son in the pig pen. Now I want you to imagine in your mind a moment this, this father... This father who missed his son every day. Where's my boy? Prayed for his son. And I can just imagine that that every afternoon around sunset, he would gather at the border of his property and he'd just look down the road and, Where's my boy? I hope he's okay. Not knowing that he's in a pig pen in mud and slop. Where's my boy? He does that every afternoon, perhaps, in my sanctified imagination. That's what I see. And then one afternoon he's looking down the road. And he says, Okay, there's something familiar about that person, but no, he's dressed wrong because he left in fine clothing, and this guy's in rags, and you know what? He's limping a little bit. And then as he stares a little farther, he says, It's my boy. It's my boy. And then Jesus said this. I'm not making this up. Jesus said that the father ran to meet his son. Now, it was very undignified for an older man to run. But he took his robe and tucked it up, hopped over that fence, and went running out to meet his son. If he had a white beard, it's blowing in the wind. And then he tackled his son, bad odor and all, and just showered him with kisses. And Jesus said, that's what God is like. He's a God who rebe- re- regrets your rebellion, but He runs when you return. You know, there was a great pastor in London, Charles Spurgeon, and here's what he wrote about this parable. We read that the Father ran. The compassion of God is followed by swift movements. He is slow to anger, but He is quick to bless. God comes forward. Flying in the greatness of His compassion to help every poor soul that returns to Him. You know what? I'm so glad that the son didn't say, well, you know what? i got to get my act together before I go back to my dad. No, he didn't say, i got to clean up first. got to understand it all. You know, when I was growing up and for many years in the ministry, every service we would sing an invitation hymn called Just As I Am, I come, And you know, that's the only way you can come to God. Just as you are. Just as we are. It's the only way we can come to God. But when we start back to God, He runs to meet us. So our God regrets our rebellion. Our God runs when you return. And then finally, our God restores you when you repent. Our God fully restores you when you repent. Now, The son rehearsed his homecoming speech. He said three things, basically, through observations, and two were wrong and one was right. He said, first of all, you know what? My father's hired servants aren't missing any meals, and here I am starving. That's true. His servants live better than the son who's in rebellion against God. He said, I have sinned against God and against my father. That was right and then he said father just make me as one of your hired servants i'm not even worthy to be your son anymore so what was wrong with that last statement you see he never was worthy to be a child of his father and if you think you're ever worthy to be a child of god you don't understand grace we are never worthy it's not by works it's all by grace and the father said take the best robe And put it on him. Don't don't bathe him first. Just put this good, clean, expensive robe on the rags that he's wearing. His feet are bare by now. Put put sandals on his feet. The ring which signified the signature of the family, his family name. Give him the ring back. And just let's party. Let's have a Texas barbecue. We're going to kill the fatted calf. You know, for many, many years, I have loved religious art. And there's a famous Spanish master by the name of Esteban Murillo who painted this scene called The Prodigal Son. And if you look on the screen, you can see this Prodigal Son painting. And, you know, Murillo put so many details in there. You see the absolute tattered rags of the son and the rich robes of the father. You see the fat calf there that's even brought in to be slaughtered. And then if you zero in on the picture a little bit there, you can see the older son in the top right corner, not happy about it all. And you can see the the servants there with the ring and the robe and the sandals. They were going to have a party. And they celebrated, and that's the theme that brings all of these three parables together. That which was lost was found. And that which was dead is now alive. And you know, Jesus said the thing that makes heaven the happiest is not when a hundred people gather to worship in Nacogdoches, Texas. Not when 500 people gather to worship in Nacogdoches, Texas. Jesus said there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than all the righteous when they get together. Heaven rejoices when that which is lost is found again. So again, where are you in this this story? You know, you may be that prodigal son or daughter, and although you're in church, you're looking nice, you know that in your heart that fellowship has been taken care of. That fellowship is not what it used to be. There was a time when you were closer to God than you are right now. God says to you today, come back. If you'll start back toward me, I will welcome you with open arms. You know, Ernest Hemingway, of course, was a famous writer. He wrote a, a short story called The Capital of the World, in which he told a story that takes place in Spain of a son by the name of Paco. And he and his father were estranged with each other because Paco wanted to be a matador. And his father didn't want him to do that. And so They really fought with each other and the father kicked him out of his house. And then several years later, the father had a change of heart and wanted to be restored to his son, but he had no idea where his son was. And so the father, according to the story by Hemingway, took out a big ad in the Madrid newspaper which said this, Paco, all is forgiven. Meet me at the newspaper office tomorrow at 9 a.m., Love your father. And in this story by Ernest Hemingway, the next morning at the Madrid newspaper, there were 600 young men named Paco that gathered because Paco is a very familiar name. And there were that many young boys needing the forgiveness and love of their father. And maybe today you need that. So again, you may be the one wandering from God, or again, you may be the parent of a prodigal. I have some very practical advice to you if you are the parent of a prodigal. Quickly, number one, just know that God understands your pain. It hurts when you have a child that has gotten out of fellowship with, you, with the family, and that happens often. God knows the pain of your heart. Number two, very important that you don't go jump in the pig pen. You notice the father did not go to the pig pen and say, Son, let me clean you up and take you home. He waited until the son came to the point of total desperation and came to his senses. The third thing for parents of prodigals, let them know your door is always open. Let them know, I love you unconditionally. And anytime you're ready to come back, the door is open. Do not eliminate the possibility of them returning to you. And then finally... Move quickly to restore them. When they do return, quickly celebrate and just rejoice because that fellowship has been restored. You know what? God loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. I heard a story, and I don't know whether it's true or not. It's a great enough story it ought to be true, but if not, it's still a good story. There's about a homeless lady in New York City named Edith. Uh, and edith went to this rescue mission for food and for clothes and then they made them stay to hear the religious message and one night after the service was over edith went up to the preacher who preached that night with great excitement and said i'm ready to give my life to jesus and the preacher said well what made tonight different she said i never knew my name was in the bible he said what she said my name is edith and I, tonight I learned that my name is in the Bible and the preacher said you know I've read the Bible many many times and, and the name Edith is not in the Bible she said oh yes it is oh yes it is and she called to his attention the passage he had preached on that night from the King James Version Luke 15 2 that says and the Pharisees and scribes murmured saying this man receiveth sinners and Edith with them <laughs> she said there it is he receives Edith with them, And that's true, whatever your name is, George, Tom, Mary, Jane, whatever. Jesus receives you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this great story that you told so many years ago to teach us about the Father. And Lord, today I pray that wherever someone finds themselves in the story, either as one who's wandering away or the parent of a prodigal, I pray that today you will speak to their hearts and give them a sense of hope, uh, give them a sense of assurance that you care for them and that you always receive sinners. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just a moment, we're going to have the invitation, and we're going to stand and sing, and some will be down here at the front. Maybe you're here today, and you need to walk forward and make a decision for Christ. Some of you need to come and say... I'm a believer, but I'm not a member of First Baptist Church, Nagadoches. And today I want to talk about what it means to be a member of this church. Or or I'm a believer, but I haven't been baptized since I gave my heart to Jesus. I want to talk to someone about how do I get baptized? What does that mean? Or maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord. You, You don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. And if you're seeking that, then if you'll come forward, somebody will talk to you about how you can give your heart to Jesus. Let's stand together right now and saying all to Jesus I surrender.